if you're a parent listening to this, the absolute greatest gift you can give your child is confidence. Just tell them you can do this, you can do this. Because I think that's what's sometimes lacking in today's societies. People don't believe in themselves. Welcome everyone to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 74. I could not be more excited for you to hear from today's guest. His name is Dwayne J. Clark. And let me tell you, my conversation with Dwayne had me lit up like a Christmas tree. His story is so inspiring and what he has created in his life is going to absolutely blow you away. See, Dwayne is the CEO of Aegis Living, which is one of the most sought after assisted living facilities in the US with over 30 locations. He's also the producer of two award-winning films and author of several books, including his most recent, 30 Summers Left, which shares the lessons from longevity that Dwayne has amassed from the latest health and wellness research on living the best life possible. In today's episode, you'll hear Dwayne talk about how he really grew up with nothing. His family had no money. He really only had the love and support of his mother and the confidence that she instilled in him to believe that he could grow up and really accomplish anything. Today, Dwayne is living do well and do good by making an impact first with the people that he has the most direct influence over, his employees. Dwayne has built Aegis Living around the idea that his employees, not his customers, are number one. And he lives that through initiatives like the Dream Big Lottery, which is literally a lottery that he runs every single year for his employees. And as of the time of this recording, that lottery is actually happening tomorrow, which means that truly within the next 24 hours, one of Dwayne's employees is going to have their lives changed forever. This is only a small part really of what Dwayne has done and is doing in his life to leave a legacy and to really make an impact in a powerful way. And I know that you are going to love him and his story as much as I did. Before I jump into this conversation with Dwayne, I want to remind you that if you are loving the podcast, the best thing that you can do to support is to leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you are listening. It goes such a long way in helping other people to find the show And it truly means a lot to me personally. So now without further ado, here's my chat with Dwayne J. Clark. Dwayne, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited to have you here. Oh, I'm jazzed to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Oh, good. Well, let's dive straight into it, Dwayne. I would love to just get the context for your story. So what was life like for you growing up? And what was the mindset around money that was instilled in you when you were young? Well, great. Money was a foreign concept for me growing up because we didn't have any. So it was very foreign. I was the youngest of four children by far. My closest sibling was almost eight years older than I am. When they left the house, my mom and dad got a divorce. My mom found herself single. 
and uh, raising four children. My brothers and sisters went off to college. We became instantly very, very poor. My, my dad kind of was out of the picture and you know, we, we struggled uh, financially in a great deal. I think it's probably one of the greatest gifts I ever have in my life is, is going to Poverty University because it, it really helped shape my view of the world, helped shape me in the way I want to manage people, uh, the way I want to help people. You know, there's, there's a story that I tell that's kind of a folklore in our company called the Potato Soup Story. I was kind of a juvenile delinquent. There was two priorities in my life when I was about 15. Um, racing cars was one and girls were the other. And sometimes those priorities flip-flop back and forth. But those were the two most important things in the new world. And school wasn't one of them. My mom was working 14 hours a day as a line cook. And I decided that I was going to start skipping school and getting more into my two priorities. So she found out that I was skipping school. I flunked out my sophomore year of high school. And so she moved me to a private Catholic high school about 100 miles away where I had to live with a family by myself for several months, almost a year. And so when she finally moved, she spent everything she could to move. We didn't move. Again, we were not people of means. So the deposit on the apartment, setting up utilities, whatever, wiped her out. And she came home from work one day. And uh, we had this tiny, tiny one-bedroom apartment where the living room was almost the kitchen kind of thing. You know, she walked in the door and she looked very despondent. She said, you know, we're out of money. And, you know, I was doing my homework. I was a smart aleck, 15-year-old kid. So, well, what's new? And she didn't say anything. She usually kind of spars with me. She walked over to the little refrigerator and opened it up. And there's this little dim light that came on. I can still see it like it was yesterday. And there was an onion, a can of condensed milk in there, and like a half a cube of butter. And she turns around, she said, I'm going to have to steal something from work. And, you know, again, as a wisecracking kid, I said, well, steal some steaks. That would be great. And she came over and gave me a good whack across the face. And she goes, you know, this is a very serious situation. I've never sold anything in my life. This is critical. And I'm going to steal potatoes. And we're going to eat potato soup for the next two weeks. And she did. And, you know, we went in like like the big caper, her and I at four in the morning with a big five-gallon bucket and took some potatoes. And she paid him back with interest two weeks later when she got paid. But during that two weeks that we ate potato soup, it was a profound experience for me because she talked about she was a great cheerleader. The greatest gift she ever gave me was confidence. And she said, you know, I know you're going to rise to some level of greatness. You may be president of the United States, you know, whatever. But she said, never forget this moment. Never forget that you ate potato soup for two weeks because that'll breed, you know, a sensitivity into you that, you know, a lot, a lot of leaders don't have. And so that was an incredible gift for me. And so when I started a company, one of the first things we did was start the Potato Soup Foundation. And it's, it's helped dozens and dozens of people that don't have food, that need money for rent, that need medical emergency kind of treatments. You know, yesterday we got a person who's been deaf for 19 years or first turning AIDS. Just really incredible things. And I think that's one of the things I like about the work that you're doing in the world is, you know, you're creating a sensitivity to people. And I think, I think good companies have to have extreme sensitivity to everyone, even though you may not believe in it. 10 minutes ago, I just had breakfast with a, a young man who I've mentored for a long time that many of your listeners may know. His name's Michael Bennett. Michael's an NFL football player, big civil rights guy. And he's a young man I care a lot about. I don't always agree with his viewpoints. And so we were talking about two things. We were talking about sensitivity and the fact that you can never be too left or right if you want to change the world because you alienate people. So the thing that you have to do is you have to sensitize yourself to people's viewpoints. 
I didn't say agree or concur, but sensitize yourself so you understand uh, their viewpoints. One of the things that Michael did is, you know, he took me to a Black Lives Matter rally. Now, you know, being a guy that was raised in rural Idaho, we didn't have a lot of African-American people where I grew up. So going to a Black Lives Matter rally, and I think there was probably a thousand people there, or there was maybe six Caucasian people there. It, I, I it raised my level of awareness and sensitivity about issues and, you know, how it feels to be a minority. And, you know, I, I'm not saying I have any degree of sensitivity to what people of color go through on a daily basis. But I think the point being that we all need to have sensitivity, not agreement. And that's one of the things that's going sideways in our country today is we just, we lack sensitivity for hearing other people. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's all empathy, right? I mean, unless you're able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and and at least attempt to understand, you know, what it might be like to live their life, then it's very difficult to operate in a way that is going to be, you know, really for the greater good of of everyone and not just ourselves, which, you know, you talked about fulfillment, you know, your understanding of fulfillment. I think, you know, that at the end of the day really comes from the degree to which we feel like we're contributing. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. You know, we, we all are the best cheerleaders on our own bandwagon, but, but that's not necessarily a position of, of power or it's not something that, you know, it's, it's hard to get your opinion across when you're of one opinion. And I just think having, the, is you're using your word empathy is a great word. La- last year, when we had the presidential election, I had people calling me left and right that, you know, were of different races and so on and feel like they were going to get deported and so on and so on and so forth. I, I remember one of my managers called me and said, my maintenance man who's Hispanic is, is laying in the lobby crying. He's, he's so despondent. And so, of course, the first thing I did is, is got on an all, all company call and talked to people and told them how we supported them and we would be there for them and so on. But I didn't think that was enough. Uh, one of the messages that I wanted to do was give a message of civility. And so we, uh, we, we started a rally with a guy named Ken Wodicki. Ken is the uh, founder of the Free Hugs Movement and a dear friend. You may have seen him hugging the cop and some of the, the issues and so on. And, and so we, we did a march on Washington, D.C. called the March for Civility. You know, we had hundreds of people that, come, that came. It was, it was broadcast on C-SPAN. It's over 8 million people. We had 20 speakers speaking. But the point of it was, you know, no matter what your belief system is, that, that's what's so great about this country. You get to have various belief systems. But um, we have to be civil with each other. At the end of the day, you know, our parents should have, if they didn't, should have taught us all a set of manners that we can conduct ourselves with. And it's okay not to agree with someone. It's not okay not to be civil with people. I, I didn't mean to get political on you, but uh... no, not at all. I mean, I think it's I think it's important. But you know, I actually want to circle back to something you said earlier about the way that your mother instilled confidence in you. Could you expand on that a little bit? You know, how she did that and the way that that influenced you and your vision for yourself. You know, she did it in modeling a lot, and uh, I, I'm 60 years old. I was I was born in the late 50s. My mom used to, she was Irish Catholic. She'd say, you know, we're just like the Kennedys. And, you know, I would say, well, why doesn't that pretty blonde lady sing happy birthday to me then if we're just like the Kennedys? <laughs> and, you know, why don't we have a yacht up in New England somewhere? But she would, she would say, you know, 
my, my mom was British, raised in India, immigrated to the United States during World War II. But she said, you know, you can be anything you want to be. You know, if you want it bad enough, if you're passionate about it, you can do anything. You can be anything. And she would just keep saying that. And um, she had this unique way of level setting for me that was, I thought was interesting. And she'd say, oh, we're just like this family. And she would always compare us to these famous families. And I thought that was a unique way of level setting for us that you start believing it, you know, as a kid, your parents program. So you start believing it. And that created incredible ambition for me. She would always say when I got a job, she goes, I don't want you to just do a good job at the job you're at. I want you to look at your boss's boss job and tell me how you're going to obtain that. And so I was always aspirational in terms of uh, what I wanted to do. I bought my first house when I was 21. I was always really aspirational. I was, when I was a sophomore, junior in high school, I was a class officer, class president, and I was a promoter. So I, I put on like this, I called it was, I think my junior year called the Battle of the Bands. And I went out and found three best bands in town and structured a contract where essentially I would win. And I <laughs> uh, got these three bands to come in and battle it out and raise money for a school. So I've always been entrepreneurial like that. You know, again, I think if you're a parent listening to this, the absolute greatest gift you can give your child is confidence. Just tell them, you can do this. You can do this. Because I think that's what's sometimes lacking in today's societies. People don't believe in themselves. And as a CEO, you know, I've been a CEO for 20-some years. It's very lonely. You've got you to develop a knack to being a cheerleader for yourself. I'm not saying you never doubt each other. You, you doubt yourself. You doubt yourself constantly. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to go, oh, well, yeah, I didn't do that well. I'm, I'm, I'm going to move on to this. And, you know, I can do it. There's... I'm as smart as anyone else. I can do this. And it's not to say you have to know everything because the things that you don't know about, one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned is just go out and hire that skill. Hire the people where your knowledge is lacking. Just hire the best people you possibly can. Oh my gosh. You are just dropping so much gold right now. There's so many things that I want to dig into. But I think that you know one important point, I love that message that you gave to parents. But I think for those of us who are entrepreneurs who maybe didn't receive that sort of beneficial programming from our parents you know maybe maybe that sort of confidence you know wasn't bred into them from a young age i think what's important to understand is that we can reprogram our beliefs about ourselves and about the world it's definitely harder to do as an adult for sure but it's the most important thing you can do in in my opinion to achieve the goals and to really have the impact on the world that you're looking to have because you know our mindset it's malleable you know if if you don't have those those helpful beliefs programmed into you then work every single day to instill those in yourself because it's really the only way i think that you can get to where you're looking to go well yeah and, you know i'm i'm a member of an organization called YPO Young Presidents Organization although I'm not so young anymore. And so after 50, you get into another, the, the old guys uh, <laughs> forum. But um, I literally know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of CEOs. And the good ones are all the same. They have this one trait that, hey, I, I'm going to succeed no matter what. It's just undying passion. The bad ones have a lot of self-doubt. That's a formula for failure. If you have a lot of self-doubt, 
First of all, what happens is your staff will, will detect that. They'll notice that and they won't follow you, right? You don't want to follow someone that's like, oh, God, I hope we can do this. I hope, <laughs> I, I hope we can cross the bridge. I hope it doesn't break before. And you're like, oh, you're supposed to be my champion. You're supposed to be the leader. You've got to tell me, hey, we can do this. And part of being a great leader is getting people to do above and beyond what they think they can do. You've got to elevate them in a way that they didn't even think they could possibly do that. That's being a great leader. It's not creating fear and doubt and uncertainty in those people because that's when they're like, that's when you validate their insecurities, right? If you're a leader that validates the insecurities, like, well, I don't know, that's an ambitious goal. I don't think we can do it. Then they start thinking, you're right. I don't think we can do it. So you have to be a little bit audacious. You have to be, you know, Jack Welch used to say that when he was asked, the former chairman of GE, when he was asked about what's the biggest mistake he ever made, he said, not being bold enough and doing things fast enough. It wasn't, oh, I made this mistake. No, it was being more bold. That was a guy who was pretty bold and leading a multi-billion dollar company. But I think you'll, you'll see really good CEOs say that. You know, I need to be more bold and I need to do things faster. So I'm curious, Dwayne, what habit or set of habits even has had the most significant impact on your results as you've grown Aegis? Oh, boy, that's a loaded question because I could take it <laughs> in different ways. So I, I appreciate you asking it, Dorothy. I think as a general habit is trusting your gut. And good leaders, good business people, good entrepreneurs have this gut feeling. It's, it's an intuition that you look at and you say, ah, I know this is right. I'll give you an example because you mentioned it in the top of the broadcast. We have our own in-house lottery, okay? So the way that came about was I was talking to one of our line staff one day and we were just chatting it up and she said, well, I got to go. I got to go buy a lottery ticket. I said, ah, buy your lottery ticket. What's the chances of you winning? And, you know, I don't remember what she said, but in the reality, depending on which lotto it is, it's anywhere from, you know, one in 5 million to one in 300 million or something like that. And so as she left, I started thinking, wow, the odds of that happening are so incredibly low. Why would anyone do that? So I went to my staff and I said, I have an idea to my chiefs. And I said, we're going to start our in-house lottery. Now, they looked at me like I'd been on a seven-day binge or something. They're like, what? what's going on with you that you want to start an in-house lottery? I go, this is a great idea. And they're like, no, it's not a great idea. <laughs> you know, well, here's, here's what we're going to do. For every person that works a year and every additional year after that, we're going to give them a better chance lottery. So, you know, if you worked for us 15, 18 years, you may have a one in 200 chance of winning the lotto. How, how could that be? You know, how, how can you beat that? And in addition to that, we're going to create life-changing money. So we did some study on, well, what's life-changing money? And we came up with a number with $50,000 net because $50,000 net can make a down payment on a condo, can put you just a couple years of school, it could buy a new car, it may be able to set a family member up in a new life, whatever. And then we gave about 15 $1,000 awards. Now, one of the things that was very intentional is it became a staff retention program because people would say, oh, I'm not going to leave. If I stay two more months, I can be in the lotto program, you know? And then they may win the lotto and they're like, oh God, I get three more chances next year. So I'm going to stay in the lotto again, you know? So I tried to convince my, my chiefs to do this for like nine months. And people just got sick. Of, you know, I'd see them in the hallway and I'd say, hey, I want to talk about the lotto program. They'd, oh, no, I got to go to a meeting. I, you know, they'd run away from me. But now, now it's become iconic. It's become one of the most successful things we do in the company. But it wouldn't have happened if I wasn't persistent 
and didn't trust my gut. If I would have said, what about this lotto system? They go, oh, I think that's a dumb idea. And I went, oh, yeah, you're right. It's a dumb idea. I would have wilted on my own intuition. It would have been a loss. So when you believe in something that's really true and you think, no, this can work if we do it this way, you got to follow through on it. you got to be passionate about it and the results will come. So how many of these you know, big grand prize winners have you had since starting the program? Uh, I think we've been doing it for four years. So, you know, we've had four fifty thousand dollars We're actually doing it this week. It's, it's, uh, no kidding. Yeah. Tomorrow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think this is our fifth one we're doing. So it'll be, it'll be fantastic. There's a lot of excitement. You can see it on YouTube. People are going crazy. We have, uh, we have our CFO that goes inside a phone booth with tickets flying up through the air and, <laughs> you know, getting random paper cuts, you know, and stuff. <laughs> And you know, we have all the corporate staff there and they're cheering people. And so, and then we do a live video feed of the people that win and so on. So it's, it's an awesome event and it's just, it's just super cool. Oh, well, Dwayne, I'm, I'm just so blown away by this. I mean, our listeners can't see me smiling ear to ear right now on this call with you. It's so many entrepreneurs want to make the world a better place, right? But you're starting with your staff who are really the people whose lives you have the biggest ability to directly influence. And you know, I had mentioned the Dream Big Lottery to you before we hit record. And it's because I was reading this story about one of your employees who won that $50,000 prize and towards a new home for his family. What does it mean to you to be able to do something like that for the people who work for you? Well, I think it's everything. You know, um, today, the biggest issue in running a successful business is people. And even if you're a technology company that's not people-intensive, we're, we're people-intensive. You know, we have, we have 2,400 employees. We, we're, we're hiring another 1,000 in the next three years, probably another 3,000 in the next five years. So we're people-intensive. And when we started the company, we used to say, our customer is number two. People would say, well, that's a weird thing to say. That's kind of stupid. Why would you do that? And the principle was this. We can't make our customers number one without going through the people that touch our customers every day. So you have to delight the people that are touching the customers. And we see this every day where people don't delight their their staff. Could be at the bank, could be at a restaurant, could be at a hotel. It doesn't matter. But you you notice, you feel it. It's intuitive. It's sensitive. Where you go up and you're like, this person's short with you or they're angry. And you go, oh, you must hate your job. And then the reflection automatically is, this is a bad company, right? So, you know, one of the things that, that we knew right away is that we have to delight our staff. We have to make their world better. And that, you know, it's one of the reasons last year we were one of the top 50 Glassdoor companies in the United States. There's 700,000 companies that are nominated. We were in the top 50. And then six months after that, we were in the top 15 companies again out of 700,000 companies. For work-life balance. You know, we've been nominated best company to work for at Aegis Living 10, 12 times. People love the fact that we pay attention to them and our, our goal is to delight the employee. And just like you said, that is directly impacting your customers, the people who are living in these facilities. I mean, when people are happy at work. Yeah. Well, you know, we're in Seattle. So, you know, we, we have what's here called the Seattle Secret. And you know, a lot of people don't understand this is where Nordstrom's was born. This is where Amazon was born. This is where Starbucks was born. This is where Zillow and Expedia were born. 
This is where Costco was born. So I was highly influenced. In fact, several of those people are my, my, my neighbors, uh, highly influenced by these people that have really incredible uh, service cultures. I would go talk to them and say, hey, what you, what's the secret sauce here? What are you doing? What's your recipe? I, I feel fortunate to live in Seattle. That is a very service forward thinking, you know, area. But, you know, this, this is the recipe that everybody needs to adopt. This is not unique to us. It's the recipe that you need to adopt if you want to be competitive in today's business world. So talk about some of the ways that you do that. I was reading about soft benefits that you negotiate. What does that mean? Well, soft benefits are essentially anything that's, you know, I think of a hard benefit as this is your paycheck, this is your medical, this is your dental, this is your retirement. You know, those are hard benefits. Soft benefits are all the things other than that. One of the things that we tell our key executives is you're responsible in your daily life to be an advocate for employees and look for soft benefits. So that may be, you know, you go into your dry cleaner and say, hey, would you give every Aegis employee, you know, I know you charge a dollar ten to dry clean your shirts. Would you do it for 80 cents if we brought you, you know, 2,000 people? Well, sure. Okay, well, that goes on the soft benefit list. You go to the movie theater and say, hey, could we get movie tickets at half price if we brought... Oh, yeah, well, that goes on the list. You know, it's, uh, we, give, we give food for a dollar. Um, you can eat, eat in our buildings for a dollar. And I mean a good, well-balanced, good food, you know, by, by chef for a dollar. You can take home a family of, of four meals to your family for four dollars. So, you know, transportation passes, bus passes, gas cards. So all these things are soft benefits that we try to advocate for. And let's, let's face it, Dorothy, you know, the, the world right now in the United States, in Seattle, the, the unemployment rate's about 3.2%. Nationally, it's in maybe in the high threes, 3.8, 3.9. But once you get to about under 3.5%, it's virtual zero unemployment because those, those people that are in that 3% either don't want to be employed or can't be employed for a variety of reasons. You know, we're essentially having to convince people to leave other companies to come join us. And that, you know, that takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to make that happen. It makes such an unbelievable impact on these people's lives. I mean, if you think about, you know, a, a custodian in your facility who, you know, is maybe making, you know, I don't know, $12, $13 an hour or whatever it is, to be able to take, you know, their family of five dinner for five dollars, you know, home at the end of the day. I mean, that is just an unbelievable impact on their quality of life for them and their families. And so it's, you know, and it's something that, you know, if you as a business owner can negotiate that as part of your deals with your suppliers, then it's a disproportionate balance between the impact that it has on you as a business and the impact it has on the employees. They get so much out of it compared to you know, what it costs you as a business to negotiate that, I would imagine. Yeah, it's, it's not that hard. You know, it's more of a mindset than anything else. Because when you tell employees that come on, okay, one of your jobs, one of your jobs is advocating on a daily basis for our, our employees. That could be the meat delivery guy that you say, can I have 20% off? But, you know, whatever it is, it, it, it's a mindset more than anything else. You know, I'm not saying everybody takes advantage of all the benefits, but even if there's one benefit that they take advantage of, it's one benefit that's going to make their life better and help them out economically. And just that feeling of knowing that the business you work for actually cares about you. So 
I mean, I think the takeaway for anyone listening to this right now who has employees or or will have employees is to think about this from the start. Think about how you can keep your employees happier, which in turn is going to mean that they're keeping your customers happier. Absolutely. And again, it's that point of delivery. It's you know the person touching the other person. That's what a lot of people don't think enough about is how is that exchange taking place? About 10 years ago, I took my, all my senior staff to the Ritz-Carlton Academy. You know, we spent a week there and we said, I want to know how Ritz-Carlton trains their people to touch other people. You know, how, how do they have that service exchange? And they were incredibly detailed. You know, if you were a doorman that had a stick pin, in, in the break room, they had a, a stick pin polishing cloth. You know, I mean, it was that level of, de- this polishing cloth is for your stick pin. It was that level of detail that they went to about, hey, you have to execute on the small stuff and the big stuff will will flow. Well, Dwayne, this has been absolutely wonderful. I am just so inspired by everything that you're doing at Aegis. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. So I'd like... Oh, no, I don't want it to end. I know, neither (laughs) do I. (laughs) But we have to move into the impact round. And I promise you it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Impact me. All right. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. Just respond to me with the first answer that pops into your head. Okay. So who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? My mother. And then who's been the most impactful person in feeding your drive to do good and really make an impact? My wife. Then Dwayne, when you're having a bad day or you do find yourself in a negative headspace, what do you do to get yourself out of the funk? Meditate. Wonderful. Do you have any app that you really like or any suggestions that might be useful? Well, I, I started, I've meditated for 30 years. I started doing transcendental meditation about two, two years ago, and it was an absolute life changer for me. Could you share wh- what that is and how it's different from normal meditation? Well, you have a mantra. You know, I tell people as executives, our brain's kind of like a garage that we try to park seven cars in a three-car garage, right? So, you know, you get this visual mnemonic, right? Now, so it's like, hey, the cars are in here. They're stacked on each other. They're crossways. That's kind of how, you know, and I have a busy brain. And I'm sure you do as well as many of your listeners do. But what happens is you can't be focused, you can't be creative, and you can't be effective if your brain's too busy. And so one of the things that I do when I meditate for 22 minutes every day is I clear the garage out. I clean it out so the focused, linear, effective thoughts can come into it. Otherwise, it's, you just got a bunch of junk stacked in your brain. You know? So when I, when I go through that process, and it, it's very deep. You know, I do it usually in my bedroom or in a quiet place. But you know, sometimes I don't have that opportunity. I may have to do it in an airport. Uh, but once you get down the mantra, it'll put you in a zone that you really don't care what's around you. But when I'm done with that, first of all, it's a tremendous state of relaxation. So if you had a bad night's sleep or something, it's a great way just to feel rejuvenated. You know, meditation now, you know, we haven't talked about my book called 30 Summers More. We just changed the name from 30 Summers Left to 30 Summers More. I think it's a little bit more positive. But one of the things we talk about in the book is meditation some of the heart surgeons are saying it's 50% more effective than heart medication for people. So, and, and what's the risk? I mean, if you meditate, it's not like you're going to have a side effect, right? It's just so effective for people. And I know people say, oh, I can't meditate. There's no way I could meditate for 22 minutes. I, I was like that as well because I used to do guided meditation with apps and listening to people and so on. And I'd get into it for three or four minutes. Once you do 
guided meditation with a mantra, man, you can do it. I've, I've done it for 30 minutes. I mean, 22 is what's recommended. You don't really want to go longer than that. But um, 20 in and then two coming out of your meditation. So I love that. Well, and the next one, I had a bit of a two-parter for you, but you just started on it. So I was going to ask you, well, so the, the first part is, you know, what is the book that you find yourself recommending to people most often other than your own? But I also wanted to give you an opportunity to, to tell us about 30 Summers Left. So I'll give you the option here. You can either go a little bit deeper on that book or tell us about another one of your books that you would recommend. You know, there's so many great books out there. But, you know, I, I tend to recommend books that I read 20 years ago. Faith Popcorn and the Popcorn Report was one of my favorite books that was in the early 90s. And I recommend that book a lot because it, it shows the power of manifesting and future-like thinking. I mean, she predicted the, the concept of cocooning when you know, we would all be in our houses essentially getting everything from meals delivered to our own theaters to, you know, and look at where we are today. I mean, Amazon controls the world. My own book, 30 Summers More, you know, I've taken care of about 60,000 people in my career. And then I had kind of this epiphany with my own kind of medical issue. Because I originally started the book thinking I would chronicle the lives of these people and why they live long. And then, you know, at about 54, 55, I had this medical issue where I ended up in the hospital. And I thought, no, this is more about teaching people how to live great lives and how to live long lives. And that's what the book's about. And, you know, one of the things, I'm, I'm an adventure traveler. So I've traveled to 82 countries. I just, I just got back from Iceland last week. And when I travel, I interview people about what's the secret of longevity? Iceland has the oldest men in Europe. They lived over 81 years of age, which is about almost four years longer than the average men in America. You know, everybody thinks, well, America's got the people that live the longest. We don't. We're, we're in, the, in the 30s, you know. So people in Europe live a lot longer. Japan live a lot longer. And there's, they're not always first world countries where people live longer. So I bring a lot of that information. And, you know, overnight, I mean, when you read that book, you're going to do three or four things that will change your life instantly. So I'll leave that as a teaser. Where can people get the book? Well, it's going to be sold on Amazon. It comes out around Father's Day, 30 Summers More. And then you can also go to my website, which is DwayneJClark.com, D-W-A-Y-N-E-J, Clark without an E, C-L-A-R-K.com. And... You can see some of the other crazy things I'm doing from making movies to doing plays to writing books uh, and a bunch of other adventure kind of stuff. So You're a busy guy, Dwayne. Well, my, lo- my goal in life is not, not to have experience the mundane. So uh, I think that's the worst, the worst thing we could do in the world is be bored. So I, I try to escape that calamity. Now, Dwayne, this is my favorite question in the impact round. I can't wait to hear your perspective. What is the best piece of advice related to happiness that you would give our listeners? You know, I've been poor in my life and I've been wealthy in my life. Neither has an effect on happiness. Um, So I think the first thing I tell your listeners is money has zero to do with happiness. In fact, if you look at the, the world happiness factor has a scale, you know, places like Bhutan, Finland, Iceland, Denmark, uh, which are not highly wealthy company or countries, are in the top list of happiest countries. So I think it's more about being present and realizing the relationships you've had. You know, Harvard University did um, the longest longevity study that's ever been done. It's been over 80 years. And they, they studied genetics, they studied nutrition, they studied exercise, they studied you know, vitamins, all these things. You know what they found was the number one contributed to living a long life? What's that? 
at 50 years of age if you were in a happy, loving relationship. That was it. Could, it could, you could live as long as seven years longer. So I think happiness is about the relationships that you, you have in your life. I'm about to have my ninth grandchildren any day now. So uh, we, we're blessed to have all these grandchildren. And I wrote a book for them, my grandkids, that's turned out to be a book for the public called The Big Life a year ago. It's a book of wisdom, about 100 different things of wisdom. It's, it's also sold on Amazon. But one of the things I told my grandkids is, at the age of 40, look around and see who your friends are and see who's adding things to your life and who's an energy vampire or negative things to life. And make a conscious decision to eliminate those, eliminate those people from your life. Don't let friends be friends just because of history. Make your friends perform. And you have to perform as well. Now, some people may say, oh, that's so cold and callous, Dwayne. How could you be like that? Well, the reality is, you know, relationships are what make our life and what, what brings us happiness and what brings us joy and love and everything else. And if you have people in your life that don't do that, you're silly if you keep them in your life. I had a feeling I would love your answer and I absolutely did. Uh, that is just so powerful and, and so actionable. So thank you for that, Dwayne. Now, as you know, here on the show, we have what I like to call the do well and do good challenge. So this is my favorite part. This is where I get to encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by my guests. So I know that you yourself have created several nonprofits. And so I would love to know what organization you would like to nominate. And it is absolutely welcome to be one of your own or not, wherever you want to go with it. Well, I appreciate that. You know, our, our foundation is called the Potato Soup Foundation. So that's a big one. We help people that are in the caring industry. So that's a big one. And I'm a, a big champion of the Alzheimer's Association. But can I throw out one challenge to your listener? One more thing. I know we're going long here, but one thing that I think is important. Every year I put on this conference called EPIC. It stands for Empower People, Inspire Consciousness. And we have a couple hundred people that come and we have world-class speakers from movie stars to philosophers. And one of the things that we do, uh, my staff coined it Dwayne's Night, is we have a thing called Change a Life. And this is one of the things I challenge your listeners to do. I told them that I'll give each team, we have 11 teams, $500. And I want them to go out and video chronicle them changing the life of somebody. It has been the most profound, and it's somewhat competitive, most profound experience of anything I've probably ever done. Because they've found homeless people that they've got apartments and said, you know, I mean, everything down to dog rescues of dogs that were cancerous and they were going to put to sleep and they saved them. I mean, all kinds of things. We had a woman who didn't have running water for four years. We found her and her, her main line was disconnected and we raised the money. So what they do is they leverage the $500 and they, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But the video chronicles of these things, you know, we had Sharon Stone a couple years ago and she was one of the judges and she sat and bawled for about two hours watching these stories. So... You know, you don't have to be wealthy or run a big company to change your life. You know, you just have to have ambition and passion. And so go out there, take your video camera, challenge yourself or your family, your team or whoever to give a little bit of money and change your life and chronicle it. And it's, it'll be one of the best gifts you ever give yourself. And when you give out loud in that way, you inspire other people to do the same. So... Dwayne, I just can't begin to tell you how much I have enjoyed this conversation. 
I'm, I'm giving you a virtual hug here. Oh, thank you so much. I need to come to Epic and get a real one in person. Well, where can our listeners go, Dwayne, to learn more about you, about your business, and to follow everything that you're doing? Well, my main website, again, DwayneJClark.com, uh, kind of chronicles all that and lists all the things in, in my episodes. I'm on Instagram under Dwayne J. Clark. So those are the places you can find me. There's an email on the DwayneJClark.com if you want to send in a message or whatever. But I always love hearing what people are doing and giving them advice and so on. I, I mentor a lot of people. So it's been great to be on your show. Thanks for the way you're walking in the world and things you're doing as well. Thank you, Dwayne. All right, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to how the Do Well and Do Good Challenge works. There are two ways that you can participate. The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, I encourage you to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by my guests. Send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co and your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. The second way you can participate is absolutely free and that's by voting. See, in the first couple days of each month, we host a vote inside of our free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before that I will then donate a portion of my advertising agency's profits to. It's an awesome way to make your voice heard and we've been able to raise money for some incredible organizations doing good in the world. So if you'd like to be a part of it, then head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, where you'll find a link to join the group. Once you're inside, I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. We're having so much fun inside there. So head over again to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, and I'll see you on the inside. It means the world to me to earn your time. So thank you so much for listening.